Hi, my name is Tina McCush. Okay, yeah, my name's Sam Crawford. My name is uh, Jonathan Ogan. Hello, we're the Nelsons. Uh, my name is Ron, my wife Diana, and of course, this is Ian. Hi. About 20 years ago, I guess, a little bit longer than that, uh, I was diagnosed with a small tumor in, uh, in my brain that uh, caused my eyelids to basically not open all the way and did damage to the optic nerve in my eyes. I've had chronic illness in various capacities and it's affected multiple systems of my body from heart and circulation, thyroid, digestive, um, more recently neuromuscular. It's not always the same. It's a roller coaster. Sometimes I'm doing all right. Sometimes I feel like I'm in a really low spot. I have a, uh, I guess a medical condition called a caudal regression syndrome. And basically long story short, I had to get my uh, legs amputated when I was very young at the age of six. Uh, Ian's disability started when he was a very young uh, baby. He was about a year and a half old when he had a, a very large seizure. He was unconscious and convulsing for about an hour. He lost, he started, he stopped breathing and ended up in the hospital. And uh, that happened a couple of more times. And the doctors uh, determined that he had some brain injury as a result of those episodes. The most challenging aspect of my disability, I would say, is, I'd say uh, two words, probably access and I don't know if this is really a challenge, but assumptions that people may put on me or other people like me. I guess access, um, it would just be like, I can't reach things as easily, so um, that's a big issue. And then um, assumptions, in a way, I guess a lot of people just assume that maybe I'm bitter and I hate the world and I don't want to talk to you, but maybe that's not true. I mean, maybe sometimes it is. We all have good days and bad days, but for the most part, everyone is we're all going through the same thing, just in different ways. Yeah, I think one of the more challenging aspects of, of the disability within our family um, has been our relationship. It's, it's hard to know how to relate to Ian sometimes. He'll have a meltdown and it, it's, uh, it's difficult to really, for me, to get in there and figure out, okay, how can we work you through this and maintaining the, uh, just a, a regular relationship. Uh, has been really one of the more challenging aspects of uh, the disability dynamic within our home. My disability though, I have such a hard time with the, with the difficulty of it, um, has forced me to sit down and think more about who God is, who I am, forgiveness. So I've, I've gained a better understanding of who God is, of His sovereignty, of His goodness. But I also don't want to say that that is easy because in that whole journey too, as much as I've gained, and there are things that are irreplaceable and beautiful, but it's also been one where I've had times of just frustration and bitterness and like an internal kind of fit. The difficulty has definitely helped me um, gain things, understanding of eternal things and th big picture things. Real early on in my walk, uh, the book of Philippians became a real mainstay with me. Uh, chapter 1, verse 6, uh, there was something that uh, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippians. It said, uh, He is confident that he who began the good work in you would see it through to completion. Everything 
from that point on, it's just like, with me, I know that even when things are going bad, I, do, I focus back on that verse, that God is still doing His work in me to completion. So whatever's wrong isn't really wrong, it's just God at work. Christ's love uh, towards me um, it's affected my dis- disability in a lot of ways. It's helped me uh, grow in more acceptance of who I am, who He created me to be. and. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just really helped me just go out there in the world and not be afraid to just go for it and do things that he has called me to do. So he's, he's asking he's, you, Ian, when you're having your seizures and your hard times, how, how is your faith different? What, what has God helped you to do? He helped me to pray more and, and understand God a lot more by going through this and stuff. Because when you have seizures, seizures, it's hard. So who do we have to trust when God. we're having that? God and Jesus. He, because he doesn't always he doesn't, take it he away. He doesn't always take it away. He just... He, he just wants to be a bit closer, yeah. All right. I'm so glad everybody's here. This is a great Sunday. This morning we're going to focus in on, as you've already kind of found out, disability awareness. It's something that's been in the back of my head for quite a while here at Cornerstone. Um, we've seen different things like what's happened in our, our special needs ministry within children, what Cindy was able to do over there. So there's, it's not as if Cornerstone hasn't been doing something. We've been doing some phenomenal things. But the thing I love about Scripture, right, is we can always do more. There's always new places for God to open up for us to dive into. And so this morning, um, a good friend of mine, I'm going to invite him up here. This is Dave. Um, the first time that... First time we met, I'll never forget this. We were at a Starbucks on Topanga Canyon, right? Was that the one? Okay, he'll remember. I won't. So that's why I'm asking. (laughs) And we sat down and we were just kind of sitting talking. And I could tell he had a bone to pick with me. I mean, he had a question that was ready to come at me. And we sat down and had such a phenomenal talk. And in it, we, from that moment, we became friends. And I've loved what God's been doing in his life. And I can't wait for you to hear just exactly what it is that God has placed on his heart that I think is going to become, again, even more of a developed heart for what Cornerstone has for within the disability community. So I'm going to take now and just turn it over and let him get turned loose to, to challenge us. So anyways, this is Dave Bison. Good morning, church family. Welcome to Cornerstone's Disability Awareness Sunday. Today we're going to learn about how God's heart toward disabled uh, showed itself by how Jesus restored and dignified them. If you're new or visiting, I want to especially welcome you. We're so glad you're here today. If you're new to this whole Christianity thing and wonder how you can become part of the family, let me tell you simply just trust in Jesus for eternal life. And if you want to know more about what that means, I or one of the other pastors would be happy to talk to you later. Now, I'd like to invite the ushers to come forward, if they could, please. If you need a Bible, please just raise your hand. They'd be happy to give you one. If you don't have a Bible, please feel free to keep this as our gift to you. And then once you have your Bible, please open to the Gospel of Luke. And now please bow your heads as we pray. Dear Jesus, 
I ask the words that I speak not be my own, but rather that you would speak through me to encourage and inspire this local body of believers to follow in your footsteps in regards to how this church includes individuals with disabilities. By the power of your spirit, may hearts and minds go home today changed in this area, all for the goal of putting you on display to Simi Valley and the surrounding communities. In Jesus' name, amen. In his ministry, Christ enacted restoration, gave dignity to individuals with disabilities, and it continues to do this even to this day, as seen in my own story. I was born with a condition called arthrogryposis multiplex congenita. I know it's quite a mouthful. It's a non-progressive neuromusculoskeletal disorder. It affects my muscles and bones at the joints. Arthrogryposis in the Greek literally means hooked or curved joints, like so. Um, it inhibits or limits motion or range of motion. And uh, for example, I can only raise my arms this high, can't go any higher. Um, but I long for the day in new heaven and new earth where I'll be able to worship fully. I cannot sit cross-legged like Tina did in the video because my knees lock at 90 degrees. Um, and it also limits my ability to stand for a long period of time. That's why you're going to have to bear with me sitting here on this stool for this time. Um, I was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, into a Catholic household. And so when the doctors told, me, told my mother I wasn't, gonna be, wasn't going to live, uh, she immediately had me baptized the day I was born. So my baptismal certificate and my birth certificate have the same day, date. They said if I lived... I would probably be blind, unable to walk, and mentally challenged. Thus, to this day, my mom still calls me her miracle boy. However, it was not until I was seven years old that I was finally able to walk without the aid of braces or crutches. One of the earliest memories I have of doing so was in the woods um, with my dad. And so, to this day, I'm really drawn to walking in the woods. Um, because I was born and raised in a Catholic home, where going to church every Sunday was mandatory, there was never a point in my life where I didn't feel I knew God. But it was in fourth grade that I made faith in Jesus my own. I didn't follow God just because my parents did, but because I had chosen to. This decision was made in large part because of my fourth grade teacher at the time, whose name was, appropriately enough, Miss Hevener. <laughs> I still have a vague image in my head of walking up the stairs afterwards and thinking to myself, I've made a very important step, a big decision in my life that's going to be part of my larger journey. And it has. Ever since then, God has been an important part of my life. And like any relationship, however, we've had our ups and downs over the years. Fourth grade was also the year that I became aware of my disability, if you will, and my differentness. Um, up until then, I had been in the same school, and so I think I didn't really, wasn't exposed to how strange it might be with a disability. And so with that came a sense of isolation and a desire to belong. 
and then later a desire to be loved. Right after fifth grade, my family moved to Orlando, Florida. In eighth grade, I tried asking a girl out and she said no. And I remember hearing, overhearing some girls talk in my class about it. And it caused me such shame and embarrassment. So it took me years for me to admit to anyone except my closest friends that I was even interested in girls. And all throughout high school, and even some into college, really, I was, always felt like I was asking too much out of life or from God to think a pretty girl would like me. And during that time, of course, I watched a lot of TV and movies, and you see in there life portrayed so much differently, and it wasn't what I was living, and I longed for it to be that way. And as you know, many kids, when they rebel in high school, they try to do so by being and acting differently. But I'm already different, so how do I rebel? How do I stand out? In fact, I just wanted to be like everyone else. All of this, of course, led to an increased sense of isolation. During the same time, it probably didn't help that I had had two back surgeries within one month, as well as hand surgery and foot surgery. The back surgery required me to wear this large plastic cast on my torso and ride around in an electric wheelchair. There was large crowds in my high school, 500 kids in my graduating class alone. In fact, uh, I remember the following year, one of, somebody came up to me and asked, I, I didn't realize you could walk, because they just assumed because I was in a wheelchair. Hand surgery required me to wear this device on my arm. It went over my arm like this and hooked onto my fingers and pulled them up in order to stretch them, because originally my fingers were down. I'm sorry, it's hard to see, but... Um, foot surgery required me using crutches again. And of course, none of this made me feel like I belonged. And these feelings persisted throughout college as well. And so it should come as no surprise that this was one of the lower periods of my life, and I really felt out of fellowship with God. But shortly after that, I made what I considered to be one of the wisest decisions of my life. I moved by myself here to Los Angeles. Now, I know that might not sound very wise, but <laughs> it forced me to stand on my own two feet and be a man and it brought me closer to God in the process. Several years later, while at my former church, I began to hang out with a couple guys and would meet about once a month. We called ourselves the Brotherhood. And uh, I began to feel like I belonged. It started to happen. It's around that same time I met my friend, Mike Luce, who began to ta teach me about what grace is all about and about the assurance I had in my salvation. Then, seven years ago, I joined Cornerstone. I still remember trying out Abide, our singles ministry we had at the time. And I had tried numerous singles ministries throughout my life in groups, and I never found one that was more warm and welcoming than Abide was. I was, I was quite amazed. In fact, very first night I was there, a woman I just met gave me a hug before I left and was really touched by this. And I remember thinking, I finally found a home, a place where I belonged. And although there's no more abide, I'm still blessed to call many of those people my friends. 
And I've come to realize over time, too, that what applied to abide as a unit within the church applies to the whole church as, a, as well. And so when people ask me about my church, the analogy I like to use best is family. You're all my family. And then finally, within the last few years, I befriended Steve, a former pastor at another church nearby, who's continued to train and mentor me in the power of grace. Through it all, God has always been there. And even though I didn't always feel his presence. And often when I didn't said him, he used others to let me know that. Now that you know a little bit about me, I want to start off by asking you a question. Why does this church exist? And there's the answer. It is found in our purpose statement, which reads to give every individual an accurate picture of God by helping those who believe become fully devoted followers of Christ. And yet I believe when we don't fully embrace individuals with disabilities, we are not truly doing the best as we can. Now I must be quick to point out, however, that you, my dear church family, have already begun to do this. I serve as an intern here. You saw in the video, John, he serves as an usher. Ian serves an impact on middle school ministry. Nonetheless, I want to ask you a question. Can we do better? And I know you, beloved family, you want to do better. And so you ask, well, how can we do better? And I believe it starts with the heart, the right heart attitude. Before we even begin to try to do anything. So what is that attitude? Where can we learn it from? Well, of course, as Christ followers, we learn it from Christ himself. And so we ask, well, how did he treat individuals with disabilities? What was his heart towards these individuals? In a word, compassion. But what do I mean by compassion? It was compassion expressed through grace by restoring them. And it was compassion demonstrated through by seeing them as created in the image of God by dignifying them. Let's look at the first of these. In Luke chapter 17, Jesus performed one of his many healing miracles. But I prefer to call them restoration miracles. And extending his grace to these individuals, he not only restored them physically, but did so spiritually, socially, and emotionally as well. We read that Jesus heals 10 lepers who cried out to him as he was traveling along. He tells them to go show themselves to the priest as they are going. And as they are going, they are healed. Later, one of the 10, a Samaritan, a foreigner, comes back and falls at Jesus' feet. And Jesus rhetorically asks, where are the others? And tells that man then, his faith has made him well. Now the first thing we must remember is that lepers were truly the outcasts of the society. Once they were found to have the disease, they had to leave their friends and family and community and live with only others who had their disease. They were, in a word, isolated. Now, Jesus restores them physically, as we see in verses 14 and 15. 
Know too that this healing happened as they went. Even as not all healing is just physical, so too not all healing is instantaneous either. Jesus also restored the one who came back when he states, your faith has healed you. Now note from the context, Jesus has already healed him physically. So therefore, I don't think the man was healed physically because he had faith. Rather, Jesus is addressing the man's spiritual condition. He is saying, in effect, your faith has made you right with God. And isn't that what we're learning from Paul in Romans? Lastly, Jesus restored the lepers socially and emotionally by returning them to community. And this can be seen as command to show themselves to the priest. In that Jewish culture, the only way for them to return to community is for them to be observed by the priest and get their blessing, so to speak, in order to go back. And one can see how God, often through others, sometimes through his spirit, affected the same restoration in my life. In addition to not letting me die when I was born, he used doctors to bring about greater physical capacity for me over time. He also brought many people into my life to teach me more about himself. And he brought me to a community where I feel like I belong, all of you. Now, Jesus also demonstrated his recognition that individuals with disability are also created in the image of God by dignifying them. Now, of course, by dignifying them, he restored them, and restoring them, he dignified them. They're sort of self-referential, but I think it's important to keep the two concepts separate, even though they're very similar. And we see how Jesus dignified the individuals with disabilities in Mark chapter 8. There we read that some people brought a blind man to Jesus to be healed. Jesus takes the blind man by the hand, leads him out of the village, where he heals the man. However, in the middle of it, he asks if he can see, and when he replies only partially, Jesus heals him fully. Note that Jesus went to where the blind man lived, in Bethsaida. He didn't just stay in the temple or the synagogue or expect the blind man to come to him. He went to where he was at. Jesus is not also afraid to get up in close and personal. Note the in intimacy language of this encounter. I myself am particularly drawn to the statement that Jesus led the blind man by the hand out of the village. Close your eyes just for a minute and picture that. The Messiah, God in flesh, holding a blind man's hand, taking him out of the village, healing him, quietly talking with the man, giving of his time. You can open your eyes. I believe that part of the reason that Jesus did that was to give the man privacy while he healed him. And if you don't see how this is dignifying, imagine your next doctor's visit had to be watched by everyone else in this room. Jesus was, in a sense, always on the go. Yet despite that, he slowed down to give of his time and attention. 
to this nameless man and gave him dignity as a result. Lastly, Jesus asked the blind man, can you see anything now? Jesus, as the God-man, of course, already knew the answer. But he was asking the question to acknowledge the man's personhood because he saw the man as being created in the image of God. Therefore, the, he was worthy of that dignity no matter what his abilities or lack thereof were. As a quick aside, I also believe this is why God wants us to pray. Rather than just giving us what we want or need without us asking, he dignifies us because in asking us to pray, he's basically saying to us all the time, what do you want me to do for you? And our prayers are his our answer to him. Not that he always says yes, of course, but it makes us part of the process, establishes that relationship, dignifies us. A few years ago, I had a friend from a former job who would not identify herself as a Christian demonstrate how she saw the image of God or the humanity in me. I forget how it came up, but I mentioned to her that over time my room had become very messy and filthy, quite embarrassing. And out of the blue, she came and offered to come and help me clean it up. She traveled 50 miles one way over the course of several months, taking time in her very busy schedule to do so. So she, you see, she went to where I was at, got into my personal living space, but was not repulsed by it. She gave of her time and attention to complete the task. And while cleaning, she would ask, is this junk, is this junk? And she would never made assumptions or comments about my answer. And the point I'm trying to make here is not that what she, what she did, but her heart towards me in doing it. She never shamed me or belittled me. Because of the relationship we shared, she saw me as fully human, saw the image of God in me, and therefore gave me dignity that I deserve, that we all deserve. Now, Jesus showed compassion towards individuals with disabilities because he was on a mission to restore humanity and the rest of the universe. And of course, we know, and he knew, of course, that it needed to be restored because of the fall of man that read about in Genesis 3. Ever since then, the entire universe has been corrupted by sin, infested by sin and death. As a result, we have individuals with disabilities. And it's not because of the individual person's sin or their parents. It's because sin and death has entered the world. We must remember that despite feeling otherwise, this world is not the way it's supposed to be. It is not normal. We think that, but it isn't. Thus, when you look at me or the other individuals in the video, you must not see us as abnormal or even an abnormal part of an otherwise normal world. That is the historical view, but the biblical view is different. The biblical view says someone like myself is a normal part of an abnormal world. Think over that. A normal part of an abnormal world. 
We ask the question, how do we follow in the master's footsteps in regards to treating individuals with disabilities? We answered by showing them compassion as he did. And how did he do that? He extended grace to them and saw them as created in the image of God so as to restore and dignify them. I believe Jesus' way is the only way to truly put God on display as we purpose to do at this church. Anything less is an imperfect, incomplete, inaccurate picture of God and who he is and his great love for us all. But remember, my dear church family, unless we are empowered by and trust in the spirit of God to work in and through us, we cannot do it on our own. We cannot change at all, including showing compassion to the disabled. But the change the spirit needs to do is more than helping us do anything. As I said earlier, it's about our heart. It's about our attitude. This too, however, requires the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I exhort you, through the power of the Spirit, examine your own hearts today and see where you may be disabled in your view of the disabled. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, I ask that your spirit move across this church right now to touch the hearts and minds of the people here today as they reflect upon how they can show a gracious and dignified compassion towards individuals with disabilities, both here in our local body as well as throughout Simi Valley. I pray also that you would give them opportunities in the weeks and months ahead to express this love that you are putting on their hearts right now, all to the glory of your great name. Amen. And now I'd like to invite my friend Jean Kingery up here to share a little of her testimony. Thank you, Dave. That was beautiful. Well done. Good morning. It's a nice little chair. I'm going to sit down here. So my first memory associated with disability, I was, it was probably 60 years ago. My mother was a volunteer social worker, and she would, in the summertime, haul four of us children in the station wagon to various community centers. One day, we went to a very different place, and I know my mom tried to prepare us that there would be people there that weren't just different in color, but that were maybe different in their behaviors. However, the information didn't go into my little five-year-old brain. So when Ryan came rushing towards us, drooling, large, yelling, it, it just frightened me. And I just started bawling and ran. And Ryan was harmless. But somehow that bad experience, man, that stuck with me for many, many years. Fast forward 25 years later to a Wednesday night service at my church in Dallas, Texas. 
My pastor told me that previous Sunday that there would be a missionary speaking and that he had, was doing extraordinary work in Southeast Asia, and I should come listen. Well, I did, a little curious. And Chip Kingery, he spoke about the people that delighted his heart in his world, the least and the lost, the marginalized, the hardens of Southeast Asia, those people that had disabilities that the Hindu society would say, don't come near me, you'll be cursed. Oh, you're already cursed. Now I'll be cursed if your shadow falls on me. So don't come near me. Truly the outcast. And amazingly, even Christians and pastors felt that the disabilities came because of generational sin. Unfortunately, they were not aware of God's word on disability. I learned from Chip that these treasured vessels, as he referred to people as with disabilities, that they were made in the image of God, just like me, just like you. You know, it, Chip challenged us to pray, to, to give, and to go. And it felt safe that night when I gave Chip a donation. Because deep down in my heart, I was still afraid of people who were significantly different from me. Now, I could pray and I could give, but going to India, well, that was out of the question. You see, Chip, it was a good fit for him. He had a degree in special education, seminary degree, pastor, and most importantly, had a call to that part of the world on his life. But me, at that time, 1984, I was a college professor in fashion education and in the fashion industry, and I was just not the right fit for India for me. And besides, I could never ask money, people for money to support me. Oh, no, 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 I, I couldn't do that. I would support his work, but no, I would never be hands-on involved in it. However, God had other plans for me. A year and a half later, we were married. <sighs> yeah, and I, actually I was six months pregnant when we left. And um, seven months married, six months pregnant. <laughs> Headed to Bangalore, South India with a one-way ticket, which was a very wise move from Chip. The first five years in Bangalore, our three children, Katura. Noah and Naomi Grace were born. They were born into a world of cloth diapers, monsoons, telegrams, monthly calls back to the family in the United States, literally halfway around the world, removed from all of the conveniences of American life. Now, I learned from Chip as he showed me by example, the most important thing I could do was cradle a baby without arms. I would gently wipe the face of a young man with severe cerebral palsy that was drooling. That I could hug the young man who had both legs amputated because of undiagnosed and untreated diabetes. Most importantly, whatever their religious backgrounds were, to pray out loud in Jesus' name, always with permission, over every person that came across our paths for help. 
Chip was very patient with me and reminded me repeatedly, perfect love cast out fear. You see, for many decades, I had embraced the love of Christ, no doubt. But this was new and uncharted territory for me. Charles Shelton wrote a book, In His Steps, What Would Jesus Do in the Late 1800s? A century later, the resurgence of WWJD came about primarily in the form of wristbands. How many of you wore those? I know, you're telling our age here. I think it's even resurged some. The initials WWJD helped me to truly reflect on what would Jesus do? How did he act? How did Jesus live? And I had to honestly look at my fear, at my pride, and confess my sin for a very cold heart toward people with disabilities. People so, I thought, significantly different from me. My sin was holding me back from some amazing lifelong friendships waiting for me. Now, God's desire for restorative justice for this community of treasured vessels became a passion for myself and my husband and my children. The Holy Spirit, he began to take away my fear and to change me as I stepped into unknown and uncomfortable territory. Three decades later, our Ministry of Provision Asia has 29 national staff over ministry areas. Currently, there are 33 Hindu and Muslim children attending our special needs school. Actually, we have 32 because yesterday we got word that Vera, who's been with us for seven years, passed away. Vera would light up the room when he would come into the special needs school big smile before when he came in, even when he left. It was infectious. He didn't die because of his disability. He died because of tuberculosis. There are heartaches, of course. But families have begun to embrace Christ because of the love that our staff has genuinely shown their children. Our ministry focus is restorative justice to the marginalized people who the world sees or actually doesn't see, the invisible people. And the Provision Asia staff believes deeply that all people are created in the image of God and that they should be shown the genuine dignity as humans and be given the right and opportunity to flourish. They advocate tirelessly to the Indian government for rights for our friends. Many of you are familiar with Johnny Erickson Tata, right? Yes? She's been in a wheel, for those that you don't know her, she's been in a wheelchair, uh, actually been a wheelchair user for over 50 years as a quadriplegic from a diving accident at 17 years of age. Johnny's the founder of Johnny and Friends, the largest disability ministry in the world. And Chip and I had the privilege of working several years with her organization. This morning, we're grateful to have Ryan Falk, who works with Church Engagement. Where's Ryan? Give us a shout out. Thank him. See him over there, that little short guy? Yeah. 
be sure to thank him for his service, and uh, he'll be in the foyer uh, after the service and before the next service, too. But I want to end in Johnny relating a story about her tenure with the National Council of Disability on the day that the American Disability Act was passed, of 1999. After leaving the White House lawn to attend a celebratory reception at a nearby hotel, Paul Hearn, who was executive director, he made a comment. Paul said, we now have a law which will create more access into more jobs, provide access into restaurants and onto buses. But this law will not change the heart of the employer or the maitre d' or the bus driver. He paused, he raised his glass and said, here's to change hearts. I can honestly tell you my heart didn't change overnight. I saw as people, individuals given genuine value and the opportunity to serve Christ with their gifts and ultimately glorify God, people given dignity, hope, and salvation, my heart has changed. A little over two years ago, Chip and I retired from the mission field, broke our hearts in many ways, but we came back to Simi Valley and became quickly involved in this fellowship. In this auditorium, 17 months ago, we had a memorial service for my dear husband. The brief time that Chip was affiliated with this church, man, he was excited. He was excited about the opportunities to include people with disabilities in all areas of church ministry, not a separate ministry over here, but to reflect an inclusive and integrated one from the heart of God throughout all of Cornerstone family. Now this morning, I do believe, and I am confident that my beloved husband's soul and our dear Vera's soul, along with a cloud of witnesses, is cheering us on with that huge smile, those huge smiles and that enthusiastic spirit that they both were famous for. Thank you for allowing me to share my testimony this morning with you. Here's to changed hearts. Amen. Well, here's how we're gonna finish today. We're not gonna ask you to do anything. Okay, so there's not something at the end of this where now you're gonna go get to sign up for anything or anything like that. Part of it is, this whole goal of this morning was just to focus on this idea of the changed heart. Now, if you walk out of here, what you're gonna find is you're gonna find all kinds of tables. Uh, one of them is Johnny and Friends table, which Ryan will be at, and I don't even remember where Ryan is, but I can't see anywhere, there he is. Um, he'll be out there. Um, this is what I've challenged us as a church to do, go learn. Go develop relationships. Go engage and see God transform a heart because this is what I truly believe. I believe a heart or a church like Cornerstone that has said, we want to convey an accurate picture of God. We will never convey an accurate picture of God without all kinds of different abilities within Cornerstone. Not only is it a racial issue, which we need people from all kinds of backgrounds, we need men, we need women, but I really do believe in order for Cornerstone to be the most effective church that we can be within our community, Abilities also needs to be something that comes into this, into this discussion. 
And so I hope you've been challenged. I hope you've been thinking differently through this. Please stop by all those tables. If you saw up on the screen too, one of the guys, Sam Crawford, um, I can't say what his immaculate degeneration, I think that's what they called it. Um, I always forget that. Um, actually, he's in the hospital right now. And so I'm gonna finish, we're gonna pray for him. Uh, he has a blockage in his heart. And so I, I, I joked uh, about it is, is with him is that uh, he won't be able to be a movie star today. Um, but we'll, uh, but I'm still, I just wanna pray for him this morning. They're moving him out to Ventura. He's, he's doing well. But could everybody just stand up with me really quick and, and we pray together um, before we go. Father, thank you so much for everything that's said today. Uh, would you do a work within Cornerstone, not just to, to do nice things and to, uh, to engage, maybe out thinking we're gonna help anything, but Father, would you give us a whole new vision and a whole new heart for those from within the disability community? Would that heart be enlarged? Would we see the desperation of us as a church that we need that community to be an integral part of who we are, Father, to, to unleash them, to serve within our community, to, to be inclusive, to, to see that if we're really gonna convey that accurate picture of God, oh God, would you enliven and enlarge our hearts, not just for the disability community, but all kinds of different people. We want so desperately to tell the world who you are and so would you bring to us the people that are necessary to do that? I thank you so much for everyone that shared, um, and I look forward to what you're gonna do. And so we ask all these things in your son's precious name, amen. So in the name of the Father, when he created the world, he finished with humanity and he said, very good. In the name of the Son, who after everything went wrong after the fall, everything got kicked into action in which there would be a redemption plan that culminated itself in the person of Jesus. A person that came and walked not only amongst the rich and the snooty and the poor and the unsure, amongst those of all different ability levels, amongst men, amongst women, against all kinds of different racial groups. And in the name of the Holy Spirit who empowers us to be the people he's called us to be, may God change our hearts and open our eyes to the opportunity that Cornerstone has to truly be the people that God's called us to be. So in that name, God bless you all as you go out this week. Amen? Grace.